<clears throat> I'd like to start, can you hear okay at the back? Yeah. I'd like to start by night, tonight by teaching you or reminding some of you of a chant, which we'll learn now and then maybe pick up at the end of the talk, if that's where it goes. We'll see. Um, so it's... Uh, the words in the original language are gate, gate, paragate, parasamgate. So you've got the gate bit. <laughs> okay. So gate, gate, paragate, parasamgate, bodhiswaha. And we could do it in English, but uh, this is this has a resonance of tradition in it, so we can pick it up in the original language, and it means. Um, gate is gone um, so it's gone 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 beyond thus gone beyond the awakened mind hallelujah the swaha amen so be it yeah, well done gate. beyond beyond gone beyond thus gone beyond yes yeah, so, so the gone beyond that's the quality of it. But just just be watchful of how your mind picks up the words in English because gone doesn't necessarily sound that positive, does it? <laughs> gone? Um, it's not saying you're not here. It's pointing to something that has gone beyond mere convention, gone beyond appearances, gone beyond, as Shada was talking about, birth and death, the cycles of becoming someone, that onward, forward-moving cycling of becoming someone and trying not to become someone. That, it's the, the goneness at the center of what we are, of the awakened mind so that we can actually be here and know this life without that onward forging, seeking, becoming, trying not to become, that restless, restless twitching of samsara. So that's what it's pointing to. Gate, gate, paragate, parasamgate, bodhiswaha. It's a very simple melody. So it goes... Um, Gate, gate, para gate, para sangate, bodhiswaha. So just join in if you want to when you get it, right? And just a word for those for whom chanting is not their cup of tea. You can let it go in one ear and out the other as another phenomena moving through space. And if it gets caught, you can work with it. <laughs> okay. Gate, gate, para gate. Parasangate Bodhiswaha
gate gate para gate para sangate Gate, gate, para gate, para sangate, bodhiswaha. Then it has bells, so keep going. Gate. Gate para gate para sangate bodhiswaha. Just once more. Gate. Gate para gate para sangate Saraputra was one of the Buddha's main disciples. And there's a story about him that goes like, like this. That in his meditation, the question arose to him after you know deep practice, years of looking, I'm sure. The question arose to him and the question arose, what is Nibbana like? So Nibbana, I'll just explain... Uh, I'll explain what Nibbana is like. <laughs> and then you'll get it. <laughs> then we can go home. <laughs> so, so this is the word for those who don't know. And actually, for, for those who think they do know, let's be fresh with Nibbana, right? Because it's actually, as one... Um, one of the translators and one of our teachers here, John Peacock, who knows the languages very well, what tends to happen in English is that we make things into nouns, like nibbana, and then it's a thing, right? It's like, whoa, am I, have I got it? Have I not got that thing? And actually, he, he says lots of the words in the original language are in verb form. So more accurately would be nibbana-ing, nibbana-ing, right? Otherwise, we have the sense of, I'm going to be going there, and we'll be disappointed. As the, the Buddha says, um, he says this beautiful quote, suffering is, he's not negating that, suffering is, but no sufferer can be found. The path is, but no one who walks it. 
Nibbana is, but no one who attains it. Mind will go, well, is it or isn't it? Can I have it or can I not have it? Right? But we, as we know with practice, we look in, in a different way, with a different knowing for this. So Nibbāna, um, apparently, the word is, is currently used in um, uh, a number of Asian languages, and in Thai, that it's current, it's a, co- co- a contemporary word also, which is used uh, when referring to rice cooling down. So you have your rice, it's cooked, and you wait for it to nibban before you eat it, right? So it's an active word. It's not like some sort of thing. Right? Can you see this? It's an alive uh, discovery. The tradi- in the tradition, it can be described as the cooling out of the taints of the kilesas, of the greed, hatred, and delusion, that that fire cools that the end of that cycling, end of cycling, the end of the, um, the twitching that keeps us coming into becoming. So here's what happened for Saraputra. The question occurred in his mind, what is Nibbana like? And then the thought arose, Nibbana is the end of becoming. And then the thought arose a second time, Nibbāna is the end of becoming. And for a third time it arose, Nibbāna is the end of becoming. And then the thought futtered out. Gone. Not that thought would never then arise to Saraputra because he would still be able to think and communicate. But something had gone out. And as it came to him, the end of becoming. So what does that mean? Let's look a little bit at that. And hopefully we can see that it's not something esoteric, but is something that the Buddha taught for the welfare of the many, and that as beings with interest in this, this is not for other people, this is for those who, for whom this is their path. Two nights ago I spoke about viveka, this solitude or freedom of body and of the heart-mind. And there's a third viveka spoken about called upadi viveka, which means freedom from cause and effect. So in Dharma teachings, you could say that the Buddha has two lines of wisdom, two lines of wisdom that we're exploring. One is how to skillfully be in the world of cause and effect. Right? You do this, you get that response. How to work with the mind skillfully in the realm of cause and effect. How to bring forth skillful causes so that there are skillful effects. This is uh, we could call relative wisdom. And is very important. Relative does not mean it's any less. But it belongs to this world of cause and effect. And he points to 
um, beyond cause and effect. The freedom, the upadi viveka, the freedom from cause and effect. The end of becoming, the end of taking birth. As Shada was saying this morning, that deathless is another word that's used. The deathless dimension of what we are in which there is no more becoming into birth. Birth, of course, in our literal mind, we think of, I do, see what you think of, birth normally is this image of the human birth, right? The human birth. And in the tradition you can see that, that piece is picked up, that story about um, not coming into birth. But that's... um, That's not what I think is most interesting and profound about these teachings personally. And what is relevant to us, whether or not we have a view of lifetimes, actually is not important to me here. The birth that I think is pertinent and that we can realize the end of here and now is the birth of when I take birth in conditions, conditions, my mind states, my moods, my feelings, my thoughts my self-images, I take birth, I become those things and I get born into believing that I am someone who is. This is who I am. I am someone who is a great meditator. That's who I am. Can you see the problem there? (laughs) Or even, I'm someone who's a terrible meditator. I'm someone who is angry. I am someone who is really good, really good. And on we could go. Now, it's not that those things don't arise. There may be meditation that is skillful. There may be goodness. There may be meditation that's not that great at times. But it's the inference that that's who we are. That's what can go out of the picture. Imagine if our difficult meditation experience, we could see from that perspective of awareness and we could see, oh, there's confusion arising. Oh, there's not seeing very clearly arising. Or as somebody said today in one of the groups, he said, I can see a certain pattern and a program that I have around fear and paranoia of people looking at me. And actually, I'm seeing it. And there he was in the group saying, wow, I can see that thing start to construct right now. I can see the shape of it starting to arise. But he wasn't becoming it. It wasn't leading the show in that moment. It wasn't defining his action in that moment of his body, his speech, or his mind. The seeing of it let the self-inference go out of it. And in that moment, there was a moment of nibbaning. The cooling out in that moment of a particular problematic tendency. Trouble is, we tend to like the births that give us a little bit more glory. right? They're harder ones to see. When it's going well, or, you know, someone who you like smiles at you in the corridor or, you know, you, you, I don't know, maybe you said something in the small group or, and you think, oh, yeah, that was really good, right? And after, after the fact, 
after the fact, we're going, that was me. That was me. I, I, I did that. Wasn't that good? Right? And I'm sort of exaggerating and making it like the, the, more like the childlike, but it can be like that. The image is given, a more contemporary image actually, of, you know, in the circus where you have the lion, let's say you have the lion, the guys with the lions or the women with the lions doing their amazing work, right? Doing their amazing work and whatever we think about lion taming, it's another story. But anyway, they're doing their work and off they go. They leave the stage and then comes in. And I never actually realised this was going on two or three times I've seen a circus. But then the clowns come in. And apparently what, what the clowns do, they roll and tumble and they pretend they were the lion tamer, right? Like, that was me. Do you see that? You know, they do the miming of that amazing, skillful act that just happened and they're claiming it for them. Can you see that was me that did that? Right? It's a little bit like that. We claim the glory, but by claiming the glory, we're binding ourselves to all the other self-images that we may not be so happy about. I bind myself to the glory, I bind myself to the lack of glory, like night and day. It's the worldly winds, right? I bind myself to the praise. Someone goes, oh, that was really good, what you just did. That was me, right? The self-inference is there and I've become the good one, the one who pleased the other. I bind myself to that. I am then in bondage to the other face of the coin. And it happens actually for us a lot and it happens as teachers. You get a note saying, oh, that was great, that talk, thank you. And someone else sends you a note and you get the feedback, oh, that wasn't so great. Why did you speak for so long? And, oh. Right? Right? Praise and blame, the worldly winds. The worldly winds. <coughs> this po- you know, a very famous verse is coming to my mind right now. Um, so how to deal with the beautiful thing that may arise, actually. Because there are beautiful things, but it's the claiming them as I, me, or mine that is the painful part. The poem is the, um, the short verse. You can tell me if it's Wordsworth or anyhow, one of those guys. Sorry for the lack of precision. But the verse is, uh, she or he, he who binds himself to a joy does the winged life destroy. But he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. How to let the joy come visit, the pleasure be known and experienced without the claiming of it, the spinning and the becoming, the taking birth in the experience. So Nibbāna isn't another becoming. We don't become Nibbāned. As you see in a number of traditions that it's spoken about that awakening is a great disappointment for the ego. (laughs) Do you still want to play?
One way we can look at it is that this constant twitching, and you may, you may or may not see it like this at this point, but one way it's described, and we can feel this in our direct experience, not knowing and not yet at home in the vastness of what we are. Where the Buddha, one image the Buddha gives is, um, the mind is vast like the sky. And experiences both pleasant and unpleasant will arise in that, but the sky is not bound by those. So when we don't know, when we're not in a moment, again, and it's not like it's forever, there may be moments when you know this, when we're not at home in the vastness of what we are. And it happened in a meditation. Let's say nothing's going on for a little while in your sitting practice. There's no issue to work with. There's no pressing thought. There's no complex problematic thing to work with. And you're here and it's open and it's still. And there's a widening and it's easy and it's peaceful. We're not always content to rest there, one way of looking at it. And we can see what is called the twitch, the restless twitch of the patterning, right? Almost like on a little quiver, ready, ready to find out in any moment, well, who actually am I, right? There's a twitch, a restless twitch that very quickly comes into becoming. It picks up one of our patterns and it's spun and built like somebody gave the image today, like candy floss. It gets spun around, it gets spun and around and then before I know it, whoosh, there's a stick with a big lump of candy floss on it and it's not always pink. (laughs) Sometimes it is, isn't it? Sometimes it's like, Everything's lovely and glowing and rosy and, and I have this pattern of isn't the world great and aren't I great and aren't all my friends great and guy house is great and meditation's great and even porridge is great and right and then I spin whoosh and there I am and everything's great and I've got I'm walking around Guy House with my big stick of pink candy floss until and I'm wondering why everyone else doesn't look happy like me. And until such a time that the experience changes and this will inevitably deconstruct. Inevitably, the, we will, <laughs> once we've taken birth, there is an inevitability to death. Right? So anything that is born into experience will um, age, sicken, and die. And that who thinks I have become this, it, it's hard work holding your hand up. It's hard work prating a self-image around. It's not sustainable, why not? Not because you're wrong or bad for doing it. It's not sustainable because we've in that moment extracted ourselves from the totality of conditions and tried to rise above them with, I now know who I am. Practice, actually from the Buddhist perspective, he's very uh, vigilant and radical, I would say, with this. He doesn't give you the satisfaction to tell you who you are. You can, you can know where you are, how you are, in any moment. But anything the mind tells you about who you are is Mara. And Mara is 
the um, is delusion, actually. I'm great. I'm terrible. I've got it. I haven't got it. I'm never going to get this. I'm someone, I am someone who will never get this. I'm someone who's got it. <laughs> Even that one. Anything, any story our mind tells us about who we are is Mara. And it's Mara, it's, that's the name given, sometimes used like a personification, right? Mara comes to trick us, as it were. It's Mara, why? Not because there's something wrong, but because in that moment the space has closed down. We've closed down around the vastness of what we are to try and find us home in something that cannot be our home, that is limited, that is confined. There's a closure around the space to try and locate myself. that this twitch, this restlessness to try to keep searching for home, which we will do, it's not wrong when we do it, we have to see it. Again, it's human, it's normal, it's part of the path. It's not now we shouldn't twitch and not search. We need to search in order to see the end of searching. We humbly have to walk the path, actually. We could say that twitch is a reaction to not knowing the vastness and not being at home in this mystery. So the twitch of looking for me, looking for myself, and again, very mundane, isn't it? Image, the memory I always have, um, what, uh, it's a, a blessed brother again, he, um, different one, <laughs> he's probably wondering how many there <laughs> Um, he would kind of do it as a joke of sort of playing with the... He did, none of us in the family had this language, but he was kind of playing with the narcissism of it, if you like. So when the photos would come back in those days, you know, from True Print with all those that big, thick slab of whatever it was, somebody's wedding or whatever, and they'd come on the table at home and, and people would be looking and he would come and he'd go, are there any of me? <laughs> And he was kind of playing. But isn't that what we kind of look for through the photos? I mean, secretly. (laughs) Just to check. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I want to see the bride and groom and, you know. And I'm really happy for them. But are there any of me? And there's a little bit more lingering there, isn't there? Well, you know, tell me if it's just me, but... Right, we see that, don't we? It's a little bit of fascination, of course, because we do want to know who we are. Of course we do. Of course we do. There's a, a story I tell very often of a Dharma friend, and she and her husband would come here every June and sit for the whole month. Well, it was the other guy house, actually, the little guy house. And um, he has uh, died... Uh, subsequently um, quite young actually and um, really I enjoyed them a lot they both had a lot of laughter to them and uh, she told a story at the end of the month long retreat of how again they were in silence so essentially you know yes conventionally that's her husband but when you're on retreat it's not 
it's not actually your husband, right? He's just a yogi. He's just someone on retreat. Maybe at the end he'll still be your husband. But, right? <laughs> but actually, in the meantime, it's, it's just people, right? It's people working on Yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an agreement and all of that, right? But anyway, the point, the point is you don't do the normal husband things or partner things on the retreat. And she said she didn't know what she was doing. She would find herself wandering around, and there was a little garden there, and it was a, a June where it rained every day. Um, and uh, so the laundry, we, the, I was, was I on staff? I think I was on staff then, yeah. The laundry would get hung out, and it would, sometimes it would stay out. Uh, it didn't, didn't dry. And um, she said she noticed herself kind of gravitating to the laundry line and just hanging around. But it was a little bit not quite full lucidity of awareness. Do you ever have that? <laughs> sometimes you're sort of wandering around and just sort of doing stuff she didn't know until a few days she'd find herself going hanging out at the laundry line every lunchtime for three days until at a certain point you know the light just gets a little brighter in awareness and we kind of go oh what's going on that moment and she noticed that she was hanging by hanging around by her husband's trousers <laughs> Just for company, <laughs> and and it's funny, isn't it? But it's also really touching, also, isn't it? It's like that's who I am. That's where I belong. The em- to the empty trousers, right? And so we don't knock those things. We just want to wake up in them. Because when they're leading, and that's very benign, but when they're leading, we can be led in all to, into all kinds of uh, confusion, actually. try to communicate is what to do once we're in the spin, right? In this case, it was a candy floss. I think it's quite good because it gets spun up. It wasn't there to start with and it gets spun up and before we know it, we've got the, we've got the identity. Um, we have that moment of brightness often when the spin has already happened Sometimes in practice we can see the spin construct and we don't necessarily have to go there, right? But actually sometimes the momentum of um, spinning our story has a momentum behind it and it's before we know it, it's spun, right? So let's say uh, a contact arises. Uh, here, here was the, did you hear all the pipes at the beginning? Maybe they're still going. So I heard the pipes and I don't remember them yesterday, Right, but I heard the pipe. So the contact is with sound. So the sound comes to my ear. Um, and before I know it, I've picked it up. I've picked up the sound and I've started spinning with it. And the little spin I did just at the beginning was, why is it so loud? didn't used to be so loud. I wish it wasn't so loud. Should we not have it so loud? And there's this little kind of spin. Basically, if I sense the awareness right there, 
I become aware, I became aware of the spinning, the story about the heating. I don't like the heating. I wish it wasn't. Oh, we don't need the heating. Blah, blah, blah. There it is. There's the spin. And waking up right in the middle of it, right? I become aware, oh, I'm spinning some kind of irritable story about the, the heating, right? And I start to wake up. So there's the awareness right there in the middle of the candy floss stick, so to speak. Right there. Wake up. Oh, Oh, often that's where we wake up, right? We've already spun something. We've already spun the thing. And what we don't want to do, well, what we might do is a counterspin, right? A counterspin. We spin a different kind of candy floss, which is, oh, I shouldn't be spinning. It's all right. It's Gaia House. It's a Dharma talk. I'm the teacher. I shouldn't be spinning, right? There's another spin right there, a counterspin. And before we know it, we're bouncing off like on a pinball machine, Different counter spins. I don't like the heating. Yeah, but I shouldn't mind the heating because I'm supposed to be equanimous. Yeah, but then, and I'm going to do that. Right, and there we are, pinballing around, boing, boing, boing. No rest, no rest, no peace. Waking up right in the center of the floss, right? Ah, oh, oh, oh. Acknowledge the spin. Oh, I've spun so many times, so many things, sometimes I see them, right? Oh, there's the spin. There's the spin. This is the human thing. I'm doing it right here. Here's the spin. The awareness of the spin is not the spin. The awareness of what's spun is not spun. Right there in the center of it. Can I let the continuity be standing right in the water of the stream of things, standing awake and bright, seeing the spin as it spun around me. Can you see the difference? Right? I'm not going anywhere, but the thing has already been constructed. I will feel it. I might feel the irritation that got spun very fast there. I might feel the disappointment. I might feel, I'm giving different examples here, I need to acknowledge the glow. Let's say I spun how great I am. Whoosh! Acknowledge the glow, the glory, the hurt, the um, disappointment, the rage, the etc., etc. Acknowledge the quality of it right there. And with the continuity in the awareness, the spin can start to deconstruct. We're not feeding the self-inference in that moment. And what has spun can start to find its way back into the nature of things, back into the stream, back into life's movement towards more and more unfolding. So a metaphor I like for this, because um, it's how it, how it feels for me sometimes, is if you imagine one of the rivers on, if you've been on Dartmoor, like the River Dart, it's got this strong current and it's moving downhill and brings all kinds of stuff downhill with it. <laughs> Logs and leaves and bits and bobs and detrius and stuff, right? Practice is we stop. We stop with our body. We stop with our... Um, just going with the, the flow. <laughs> going with the flow is a really tricky thing because it's not always that great going with the flow. Well, if we go with the flow of our momentum, the, 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 the 
image is given is actually, what is it? Only dead fish sw- uh, swim with the tide. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Only dead fish go with the flow. Right? We, they just carry, it's just like whoosh. Right? When we practice, we stand in the water, metaphorically. We stop and we face back upstream. And as someone said in the group today also, it's like, whoa, there's more craziness in the mind than I thought I had last week. We're not being taken by it. We're not being taken by the river. We're stopping in the middle, so we start to feel its impact and momentum. Stopping right there. We pick up, unbeknownst to us, before we know it, something's coming down the river, a little log, and we go, whoa! We pick it up, and when we pick it up, we lose our balance. We lose our balance, and it's like we get taken to the edge of the river, and you see it on the dart. Right? Things get taken to the side like little eddies. Leaves go there, froth goes there, and it starts to spin at the edge of the river. And it spins and it spins and it's stuck. Right? And then more stuff gathers around it. Twigs and more leaves. and right? It starts spinning. Froth. In that moment to put our feet right back into the water of immediacy... And we will feel, when something has been spun, it doesn't mean we don't feel the pain of it. We will. This is called the suffering that leads to the end of suffering. There's a kind of suffering when we cling more and cling more, which is called the suffering that leads to more suffering. This is the suffering that leads to the end of suffering. When we've been spinning and we bring our feet back to earth... We take a breath, we recognize the awareness once more. We will feel that deconstruct, and it may be uncomfortable at times. Maybe very fast, you may dissolve like that, but it may take a moment. Letting the continuity be with awareness that lets us back into the water, that lets us back into the nature of things, not spinning at the side. Sometimes my and other people's experience isn't even that we're spinning at the side of the river. It's like we're frozen at the side of the river. Right? We don't even know we're spinning. It's just more tight and frozen. Like the little place where the, the river hasn't thawed and there's a little bit of ice still at the edge, at the bank. And we're trying to perch there for dear life forgetting that we are belonging to the whole stream, the Dhamma stream. This a story that uh, of this child made of salt who longed to know where she came from. And she walked and walked to the edge of the ocean and placed her toes in the edge of the ocean and they started to soften and melt. What's your response when you hear that? Right? From the perspective of the one who thinks she's the salt, there's both, well, in my experience, both relief, sense of, oh yeah, this is home, but oh my God, I don't want to just dissolve. Right? 
Because we have then an idea of what that means. Our mind will pick that one up and we'll have another whole story and spin about what awakening looks like. I'm sure I still have some, but I can certainly see some of the earlier ones I had. When you start to see things soften and dissolve, the mind picks that up and starts to spin a story and a story I spun of... I had some small experiences about seeing that uh, things were changing and they weren't so solid, right? They weren't as solid as they had appeared to me. And my mind picked that up with the idea then, oh my God, that means awakening. I was very innocent. You're going to find out something about me now. Oh my God, awakening is going to be that nothing is really solid and I'm going to see everyone as pixels, right? There's nothing really there. That the mind picks up a small insight and starts to have an idea of what that's going to look like in fruition. But that's the mind story. That's fear. That's just picking ourselves out of the stream and the salt child places her foot in the stream and the, in, the, in the ocean and goes, ah, now I know where I come from. But watch what your mind does because the language of dissolving, we can spin that. I had another awakening spin story of thinking, oh my goodness, if it's all dissolving, I'm going to turn into... Who am I going to become? So more becoming, thinking I was going to become enlightened. I'm going to become like a kind of a like a compost heap. You know, something rather just, you know. I don't even know what I was thinking. What was I thinking? <laughs> but that, that wasn't an appealing. That wasn't, <laughs> I didn't want to become a compost heap. Um, like something sort of undistinct and mushed up I think it yeah that's what it was was that if things are dissolving then everything's going to turn to mush I don't want that kind of awakening right see these ideas I don't know if you see which ones you have around that so we even have to let go of that story because the only way to find out is to follow where the heart is drawn actually where it's truly drawn and trust step by step and check it out when I read the poems the other night some, some of you stayed up and a number of notes have come of the first one about could you give me the reference for the first and last one few people asked for that a number, so I thought oh maybe the first and last one have certain resonance in the group so I bring them back um, <clears throat> to you for right now So something about this uh, nibbanaing is being able to tolerate and rest a little bit more um, in the silence. So we can see the process of becoming, 
So the first one is, and I remembered when I read it the, the other night that John gave this to me about, John who's sitting over there, gave this to me about 10 years ago. He just handed it to me at Lon- in London in a day long. And I was going, happened to be going to Sweden to teach the following week, which he didn't know, um, on an island. Uh, little, little, they have these, uh, an archipelago of islands around uh, Stockholm in the sea, lots and lots and lots, and they're covered in snow for a long, t- a long time compared to what I'm used to. Um, and this one is from Thomas Tranströmer, Swedish poet. It's called Language with No Words. So, yeah. Tired. Tired of all who come with words. Words but no language. I went to the snow-covered island. The wild does not have words. The unwritten pages spread themselves out in all directions. I come across the marks of a roe deer's hooves in the snow. Language, but no words. Tired of all who come with words, words, but no language, I went to the snow-covered island. The wild does not have words. The unwritten pages spread themselves out in all directions. Can you feel that? That vast quality you get when snow is just laid out. The unwritten pages spread themselves out in all directions. I come across the marks of roe deer's hooves in the snow. Language, but no words. And and notice where the poem leaves you. Maybe it leaves you in the unwritten pages. And then you might see some writing on the pages. The mind might pipe up with something. Can you see that? You might start thinking about Sweden or you might start going, I think I'll go on holiday there, that sounds nice. Or, you know, whatever the mind picks it up with. Or, oh, yes, mm, dear. Mm. You might be doing that or it might be, oh, I've, I don't know that. That's not for me. These are f- this is for these other people who have deep, vast experience, I'm just struggling with my knees, damn it, you know. And then we build a, another picture of self. I'm someone who can't have, or I'm someone who doesn't have, right? Just watch what building comes out. Can you see that? Can you stay with the awareness, seeing the building? Because on the night of his awakening, the Buddha's metaphor, when he woke up fully fully woke up the the the, the poem he the, the the metaphor he used was he said the house builder has been seen the rafters have been shattered the ridge pole is broken no more house building 
No more house building, because we try and make this home, right? This sense of self. But he rested back into a more reliable home. Deathless, not becoming. Here and now, timeless, to be experienced by each one for themselves. These are the, um, the epithets of the Dharma. It's timeless, here and now, to be experienced by each one for themselves. Inviting investigation. This was the last one from uh, the Zen tradition. Um, and I actually don't have an author on it. Maybe someone who knows it, they wrote me a note, said, I've heard that one before with a different translation. Anyway, we'll get an author. All beings by nature are Buddha. As ice by nature is water. Apart from water, there is no ice. How sad people ignore the near and search for the truth afar. Those who hear this truth even once and listen with a grateful heart, treasuring it, revering it, gain blessings without end. Much more those who turn about and bear witness to self-nature. Self-nature That is no nature, gone far beyond mere doctrine. How boundless and free is the sky of awareness. How bright the full moon of wisdom. Truly, is anything missing right now? Nirvana is right here, before your eyes. This very place, the lotus land. This very body, the Buddha. All beings by nature are Buddha, as ice by nature is water. Apart from water, there is no ice. How sad people ignore the near and search for truth afar. Those who hear this truth even once and listen with a grateful heart, treasuring it, revering it, gain blessing without end. Much more those who turn about and bear witness to self-nature. Self-nature that is no nature, gone far beyond mere doctrine. How boundless and free is the sky of awareness. How bright the full moon of wisdom. Truly, is anything missing right now? Nirvana is right here before your eyes. This very place, the lotus land, this very body, the Buddha. So let's uh, finish with a few minutes of the chant if you'd like to join in with it.
Gati Gati Paragati Parasangati Bodhi Swaha Gati Gati Paragati Parasangati Bodhiswaha Gati Gati Paragate Parasangate Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.